Welcome to Podcast on Podcasting, brought to you by Studio. We're your go-to resource for big ideas, helpful data, and practical tips on the art of corporate podcasting. Our guest today is the definition of a subject matter expert. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin and the director of their Human Dimensions of Organizations program. More on that later. He's the author of a number of books, including The Habits of Effective Leadership, Smart Change, and most recently, Brain Briefs. But maybe most notably, he's the co-host, along with Bob Duke, of the podcast, Two Guys on Your Head. Our guest today is Art Markman. So Art, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, JB. Man, this is this is fun for me because uh, I've always been on the side of the microphone, and I meet people that uh, that listen to me from from radio or whatever. It's fun for me to have the tables turned and listen to someone whose podcast that I really enjoy. You and Bob have such great chemistry. I I got the maybe the sense that you said, "Hey, let's do a show together someday." It didn't go down that way at all. No, uh, it's better to be lucky than good. Um, and, and really, I had made a pivot about 12 years ago to doing more outward-facing work. So I'm a cognitive psychologist. I study the way people think. I write lots of papers that get read by 30 of my closest colleagues. And it, <laughs> at some point, it occurred to me that almost everybody I know has a mind and almost nobody knows how it works and that I could help to bring more of that information to people. And so... I started trying to find ways to look outward to, to find opportunities to, to educate. And, and some of that came from blogging. So I, I started blogging before most people knew what the word was. Uh, we've been writing for Psychology Today and their page for about 10 years, have expanded to write for Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. And so I was already in the space of thinking about how do you communicate about the science of the mind to people who aren't scientists. And then this other opportunity came along to do it in audio format, and uh, both of us jumped at it. So had I not heard you on the radio or your podcast, I would have been like, I would have read your title of, <laughs> uh, of what you did at the University of Texas as a professor, and I would have been like, not a chance I could talk to that guy, right? <laughs> I would be right. so intimidated. I would never approach you, and we would just never have a conversation. Having listened to you for some time, you, you, have this, you have this warmth, and it feels like you can project yourself into that room and communicate with these people. Uh, so having you on, I, I feel super comfortable. So let's apply that to leaders trying to use this medium. Uh, it's basically humanizing them in a way, oh, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And if you think about it, um, titles create distance. You know, and, and if you think there's even distance in an org chart, right? I mean, if you're the CEO or the COO or you've got any C before your name, um, you, have, you have created distance between yourself and other people. And, and it can be hard for people who aren't part of that inner circle to feel like, oh, I could just walk up to you and have a conversation. Now, when a company is small or relatively small, often you'll see the upper level leadership making a point of walking around and having conversations. Uh, but but as, the, as the organization gets larger, it's really hard to be a, a three-dimensional person to the people who are working for you. And, and 
And so what happens is you can actually begin to feel disconnected because as a leader, you're thinking, well, nobody's telling me anything. I don't understand what the experience is of the rank and file person. And if I walk up to somebody at random, they're going to tell me everything's fine because, because they don't feel like they know me well enough to dig into some of the things that they might see that might actually be really important for me to know. You have a role at UT where you work with leaders and how leaders should be more effective with people. Am mm. I on the right track with yeah. this? Yeah, so okay. we, we created a program now about seven and a half years ago called the Human Dimensions of Organizations. And a lot of what we're trying to do is to help people to deal with other people. So if you think about a lot of the education people get, they get trained as an engineer, and so they're very good technically, or as a programmer, and they're good technically, or they, they get trained in business, and so they're really good with money. But a lot of the problems that people face on a day-to-day -day basis are actually people problems. It's, I got this mm -hmm. colleague who annoys me. I can't motivate this person to do what I want them to do. I'm worried about the culture in my organization. And, and there are very few classes you take in all of your education, K to 12, higher education, graduate degrees. There are very few classes that you take that actually train you to deal with those kinds of people issues. And so some people figure it out and some don't and, and people make a lot of mistakes. And so what we thought was, well, if you look at the, the liberal arts, right, the humanities, the social sciences, the behavioral sciences, what we have is this wealth of knowledge about the way people work. So why not find ways to bring that to folks who are going to be in leadership roles, who are going to be the ones who are creating the corporate culture or the organizational culture? How do we, how do we help them to understand the kinds of levers you have at your disposal to pull to influence people as individuals, as groups, and as cultures? Now let's turn it to leaders and using an internal podcast network like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you have some thoughts on how they can be better communicators and use this medium to be more effective at getting their message to their, their staff, their employees, mm -hmm. and creating a culture. Yeah, there, there's so many opportunities out there. So one of them is to is to give that that vision of what it is that you want the organization to be, to create a vocabulary for people. You know, one of the things that words do for us is that they they form these placeholders for concepts that allow you to start noticing things that you hadn't noticed before because they create an, an opportunity and even a goal around that. I often tell people if you go shopping for a car, you suddenly notice all the people on the road who are driving the same car, uh, mm -hmm. even if you'd never noticed it before. And, and when the leadership through something like a podcast starts talking about a particular concept, now that you have a word for it, you start noticing that all over the place. And it makes it something that, that not only do, are, are you pretty sure that everyone can see, but they have words to talk about. And so you, you, you create this opportunity for discussions that are happening uh, among the people in the organization just by throwing some of these concepts out there and defining them for people. And, and it also creates this opportunity to, to help stress some of the gaps. The, the thing that motivates people, or at least that creates energy for motivation, is when you recognize the gap between where you are right now and what you could be in the future. And, and the really great motivational speakers are really good at highlighting those gaps. And I think you know, podcasts internally play this great role of saying, well, here's, here's my assessment of where we are. Here's what we could be and, and, and create that sense of that gap 
and then create the sense of how you bridge that gap. Here are the ways that we can begin to address this issue and, and narrow that gap off into the future. I want to play a quick clip, if you don't mind, from an episode of Two Guys on Your Head. You and Bob talking about how versus why knowledge. We often conflate how with why. So we know how to do all sorts of things. And as a result, we believe we know why they work the way that they do. You know, we know how to attach a picture to an email. And therefore, we, under we believe we understand the why. And, and that's a little dangerous because, because a lot of the procedures we have work only within certain tolerances. Can you explain to me how that difference between how and why knowledge is important? You know, a lot of times people are very good with how knowledge. They learn a lot of procedures for getting through the world, but they don't really understand why things work the way they do. And it turns out you can't solve any new problems unless you actually understand why the world works the way that it does. You can only keep executing the procedure. And, and so podcasts can be a particularly effective way of giving people insight into that why component. So here's this thing you've been doing for years. Let me help you to understand why you do it that way or why we as an organization do it that way, uh, which can be really useful because, you know, every company has procedures that people go through that they just think are stupid, right? <laughs> yes. And some of them are stupid or, or at least holdovers from another era. But there are times where those procedures actually make something much easier to do further down the line. And if people understood that, they might actually be more willing to go through that procedure because they'd understand, oh, I'm just, I'm just teeing it up for the people who are further down the line. So now I understand why I have to enter the information in this way, even though it seems repetitive or whatever the procedure is. Let's go deeper on leaders who want to use innovation or change um, how can they use the why knowledge to accomplish that? Yeah. So one of the things about both innovation and change management is that the why piece matters a lot. On the innovation side, it, you, you, again, you can't do anything different if you don't understand why the world works the way it does. And so, and so being able to innovate requires that people really delve into this, this notion of why the world works the way it does. Uh, give a small plug. I did a book a few years ago called Smart Thinking that's all about trying to really understand the the why of things in order to be able to solve problems in new ways. But perhaps even more importantly is when it comes to trying to create change, change management is is one of the hardest things any organization goes through because the brain is lazy and it wants to keep doing what it did last time. And so if you force people to do something new, they're going to still try to revert back to what they did in the past. So if you can give them a real understanding of, of the why beneath the change, what is it that this is going to accomplish that's going to be different from what we did in the past? How are we going to even know that we're succeeding because we're doing something different? All of those things give people some additional motivation to keep at it when they just want to fall back to doing what they were doing in the past. And it also helps people to overcome a little bit of the frustration that you get when you're trying to, to change your behavior. Because doing something new, you know, think about anybody who's tried to change a tennis swing or a golf swing or something, you know, it just feels wrong for a while. And you want to blame something for it. 
right? So you're going to blame the organization. You're going to say, well, this place just sucks because, because I don't feel comfortable at work anymore. But if you understand I'm it's going gonna, it's gonna to be painful for about six weeks because we're going to be better for having done this. Then you go through and you do it and you actually feel good. You feel like, well, we're, we're going to collaborate on this change together and we're all going to experience a little bit of pain, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, and that's, just, that, that's such an important thing to do. And you know, the funny thing is organizations are so good at, at sending out messages that we're going to change that they don't set expectations about how uncomfortable the change process itself is going to be. And, and they often then fail to get the buy-in to the change that they need for that reason. You know, anyone that's ever worked in a large corporate structure probably experiences this. I mean, I think it happens almost everywhere. The employees go home and go, my boss is an idiot, right? And then the, the that's leaders- the G-rated the bo- version. <laughs> and the, the leaders go home and go, my employees are idiots, right? How do we, how do we bridge this? <laughs> and, and this is where you could use this medium to bridge that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly one of the things that, that podcasting can do is, to, is, is when you have your leaders who are involved in transmitting information, they can humanize themselves. And so they're, they're less idiotic, I guess, uh, when, when you get to know them, right? So you, you actually get to see them talking through things that are really important and displaying their command of, of information, right? I mean, you know, how many people have, have, have read Dilbert cartoons and seen the pointy-headed boss? And the whole point of that pointy-headed boss is that this is somebody who doesn't actually know anything about what the business does. And it is easy to get yourself into the mindset of my boss is so disconnected from what we do uh, so, so having this opportunity to actually listen in on a conversation and to realize, oh, this is, this is actually somebody who really knows what they're talking about. Uh, I think that can change mindsets um, when people are looking upward. Now, this is just a little bit of psychology here. There's a, there's a concept that, that psychological distance, which can be physical distance, but it can also be social distance. Distance creates uh, abstraction. It makes you think about things more generally. So it's, it's hard to think of any particular person in, in broad terms like that person's an idiot, right? They may not, there may be some particular thing they don't know, but they, have, they bring other strengths to the table when you're up close to them. But, but it's easy when you're socially distant to think, well, those people just, they don't know what they're talking about. Because you've worked in so many mediums, this is what makes you so perfect to talk to on this program. You've been writing papers, you've been writing for magazines, lecturing. So let's talk about the difference of these podcast segments, whether you hear them on the radio or a podcast, right? How differently they connect and the audience they reach compared to the articles you've written or lectures or keynotes yeah. at a conference. Yeah, you know, every form of communication is different. And I think the hardest thing for anyone to learn is is to have all of these different styles. So when you're when you're writing... Uh, academic papers, you're playing a chess game. You, you have this thing you want to say, and then there's, there's reviewers out there who are going to object to it. So you figure out what their objections are, and then you try to head off their objections, and then you go even a layer further. You think, well, how are they going to object to my response to their objection? And then you lead with something that's designed to head off some objection, two objections down the line. 
which works just fine for academic pros, but not so nice for, uh, for trying to transmit something to people who just want to be informed. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and so you have to remove a lot of that, that hedging and a lot of that uh, gamesmanship. And then there's the difference between writing and speaking, right? So when you're writing, you're imagining an audience, you, are, you can't be quite as conversational, you have to provide a lot of background, there's no back and forth. And so it's still a little bit more formal. And then the beauty of, of a podcast, particularly one that's structured as a conversation, is you really get to have that chance to go back and forth with people and, and to inject a little humor in the moment. You know, I, I, I pride myself on interrupting what Bob says at least once a show to say something that I thought was funny. Uh, some of which actually makes it into the final podcast and some of which doesn't. Well, that's the beauty of uh, the medium because you don't, you're not with your audience. You, you don't, you know, if your joke falls flat, you don't know. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, a, a common question among podcasters and using this medium is length. Mm-hmm. Your podcast's shorter than just about anybody out there, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, they're usually, they're typically seven or eight minutes. That's right. That's uh, right. Because everyone always asks, how long should it be? How long should it be? And I'm, you know, I'm, I typically will say, well, it depends on how good it is. <laughs> if it's, if it's keeping them engaged, then longer is okay. And if you don't have more to say, short is great. Yeah. Yeah. The length of a commute is good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if you if you look at where people are listening to podcasts, you know, you, you people are, are are essentially what what the phrase now is curating their own audio experience, right? Uh, as opposed to being at the mercy of of what what might be on a on a broadcast radio station. Uh, but but people are listening in the car or while they're while they're doing something else, and so you have this opportunity actually to 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 get people for you know a half an hour or or forty minutes if there's enough content to make that happen. I think that that a lot of times what happens is people decide, well, this is gonna be a 40 minute show, so darn it, I'm gonna fill up 40 minutes, come hell or high water. And, and then you get a lot of repetition, or it turns out three of the questions didn't really get very good answers, and, and people are gonna to have to wade through that. I mean, you know, ask yourself, why do people watch the highlights of, of professional football games rather than the game? Well, because there, mm-hmm. there was four minutes worth of really interesting stuff in three hours, right? Um, if, if you've only got four minutes of content, uh, you know, give people, you know, maybe bury that in 10 minutes, but, but don't, don't bury that four minutes in 40 minutes. But if you've really got something, you've got a dynamic guest or a dynamic pair of people who are really having a great conversation that people are going to get drawn into, you know, then, then a half an hour, 40 minutes can be great. On this program down the road, we might go more extensively on editing and that process. And, you know, like I said, your segments with with, uh, Bob are like seven or eight minutes. And it sounds like you guys just walk in, hit the red button, and just do it to perfection. Uh, What's that process like to put together a a really good, tight show? I mean, surely you're recording much longer than that. Yeah, I, I wish we could come in and have a seven and a half minute conversation for a seven and a half minute show. <laughs> uh, no, Bob and I talk for each show, we talk for about 35 or 40 minutes. Uh, and we have a, a long rambling conversation. And luckily, while Bob and I know some psychology and we get along well together, uh, Rebecca McEnroy, our producer, knows radio. And so what she does is, is sit in the room and, and keep track of, do we have a show yet? That is, can I, can I think of seven and a half good minutes in what you've said? And sometimes 
sometimes we'll talk for 10 minutes and she'll go, you know what? I think we got it. And sometimes we'll go half an hour and she'll go, eh, not yet. And then she'll ask mm -hmm. a question to spur uh, another part of the, the conversation. And, and sometimes she has to do that two or three times before she goes, yeah, okay, I think it's there. And then she is absolutely brilliant at weaving together something that sounds like a seamless conversation. Sometimes I think creating a virtual ransom note from, from individual words that we've spoken to, to create coherent sentences. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and this raises two points that are important, I think. One, that, that, that you shouldn't expect that you're just going to run the mic and then, you know, take that and, and, and put that out on the podcast. The other thing is, it, it's, it shows the value of having a real professional who knows audio content as a part of the process that, you know, look, I have a home studio because I play some music. Uh, I could theoretically record a great sounding podcast from my home, I, but I wouldn't do it because I don't actually know radio. I don't know the, the medium. And, and, you know, never believe there's, there's, there's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect in psychology, which is that the people who are worst at anything are, are, are least well calibrated about how good they are at it. Um, we, we could phrase this as who knew podcasting could be so complicated, um, but, but it's, it's a matter of, you know, if you don't know anything about it, you think, well, how hard could this be? And then the more you get into it, the more you realize that actually it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to create really good content time and time again. Having somebody involved in the process who really knows what they're doing, I think is critical. How long did it take you guys to get good at it? Let's be honest. I mean, uh, were you good right out of the gate? Well, we're five years in and we're sort of hoping in year six. Uh, it'll, <laughs> it'll peak. <laughs> hey, Art, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. I am a fan of the show. Anyone should subscribe to it. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, two guys on your head. You learn something in seven minutes and you feel more knowledgeable and like a better human being after these great segments. You guys do a fantastic job. Well, thanks so much, JB. It's been great talking with you.